When I was uh, about six, seven years old, my parents got me this. Anybody ever remember a Polaroid instant camera? Yeah. And the great thing about a Polaroid instant camera is that you get the picture immediately. The problem is when you first get the picture, it's a little bit foggy and it doesn't really work. This, this actually doesn't work, um, but uh, it's too old. It's from the 80s. And so, uh, but, but it's foggy. And then over time, as you look at it, it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And that's the same way it is with God's vision, with his dream for our lives. Sometimes when we first get the picture, it's a little bit foggy, but over, to t- over the time, it gets clearer and clearer. And one of the things that is key with any vision is not getting overwhelmed by the fact that uh, the vision isn't totally clear at the beginning. That sometimes it just takes some time. It takes some time for the vision to actually come to light. For example, if you've ever um, saw a person who has a great marriage, that great marriage did not happen overnight. It took some time. It took some work of both of those people working together. It was foggy, blurry at first, but then it got better and better. Um, if you've ever seen uh, kids who are great, great kids don't just, you know, come out of the womb. Uh, it usually takes a parent or a couple of parents who have a dream or a vision trying to mold and shape. And there's a lot of energy that's put within that. Or if you think about someone who starts a business or someone who starts a new job, they have a dream or a vision for that. And it may be foggy at first, but over time it gets clearer and clearer. And the truth is that any great dream, any great vision is one in which you can't do it on your own. You actually need God to show up for you to be able to fulfill what that vision is, that you need him there. Now, as we've been talking about dreaming over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at a particular uh, verse of Scripture, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And this is what it says. It says this. It says, God, by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do, what's the next two words? What's it say? Far more, not just more, he's able to do far more than you and I could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or dreams. Now folks, the truth is, is that the jar has always been a dreaming church. We want to think big dreams and to think about what God can do in greater ways than where we're at right now. And today, what I want to do is I want to help you to think about not only the dream of the jar that I'm going to share some today, but for you to be thinking about what dream is God calling you to pursue. You know, the truth is, is that no human being has a hotline directly to God to where they know everything and how everything's going to happen in their life. Uh, We don't know that. And so what God calls us to do is to step out in faith. That it's through faith that we live. In fact, Scripture says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God without faith. Faith requires imagination. Faith requires risk for you to think about something bigger than where you're at right now. 
Faith is the key within that. Now today, I want to share with you uh, some steps on how you can pursue God's dream or vision in your own life by going through a process of sharing with you where I think God is calling us as a church over the next uh, season of our time. And any dream that you ever had, just like the Polaroid camera, it's foggy and blurry at first, but if you get them, give it enough time, it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. So the first step, and this is your first fill-in for those of you on the stream, go ahead and put it uh, on your phone. But here's the first step, and it's this, to open your mind to God. To open your mind to God. Uh, to open your mind to God, you've got to pull away and get quiet and listen. You've got to shut your mouth and you've got to actually choose to listen more than anything else to start to get God's perspective for your life. The Bible puts it this way. It says, it is the Lord who gives wisdom. Folks, uh, The reality is, wisdom doesn't come from yourself. Wisdom doesn't come from just a self-help book. Those things can give you wise thoughts, but that's not wisdom. Wisdom actually comes from God. God provides you with wisdom that goes beyond yourself. And the way that you find wisdom is by tuning into God and being quiet to listen to his words. That's why one of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 4610, which says this. It says, be still and know that I'm God. What's it say? Be, what's the next word? You got to be still. There's something that you can't know, God, if there's so much noise in your head and the accelerator is to the floor. You've actually got to be still And it's when we're still that we know God. Now, the question that you want to ask in this particular piece is, what is God's will? When I'm actually being quiet and I'm opening my mind, then what is God's will? When I sat down almost 20 years ago to think about uh, starting a church, I had no idea what was going to happen, except I knew I needed to be still, and I started praying, God, what is your will regarding this church. And I wasn't sure where it was going to be. And that was my biggest concern. God, I'll go wherever you want, but I'm not going to move once I get to that place. I'm going to retire at that place. So you tell me where to go and I'll do it. And God directly uh, impressed upon me, not immediately. It's like that Polaroid. It took some time, about uh, 18 months. And three months of praying every single day, multiple times, asking God for the place. But eventually, the fog came and it got clearer and clearer. And God pressed upon me, I want you to start the church in Muncie and never question me again. Now, I need you to know that I didn't want to start it in Muncie. I wanted to start it in a large urban place where there was growth and population and economics were going really well because churches tend to grow faster and they grow larger in those places. And yet God was very clear. No, I want you to start it in Muncie and never question me again. And so I said, okay, God, that's good. We started in my home and we just started dreaming. And we dreamed bigger dreams and bigger dreams. And sometimes there was plateau growth. Sometimes we went up. Sometimes we went down. But we kept dreaming and dreaming for 15 years. And God did amazing things. And then the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, I went through the most difficult season of pastoring that I've ever gone through over the past couple of years. And my guess is, is that some of you 
have gone through the toughest times of your life over the past couple of years because of the pandemic. Life is different. It's changed. There's a challenge that we all experience in the midst of this. And so this summer, I finally said, God, I can't do this anymore. I I need to hear from you. I want to know your will for where we're going. And so while I was asking for his will, he highlighted a scripture, and this is what it says. It says this, we are, what's the next word? Fools. Thanks, God, for that, you know. We are fools for Christ. We are weak, but we are strong. And it just hit me. For the past couple of years, folks, I have not been foolish for Christ. I have played it safe, I played it scared, I played the fool, but I haven't been foolish for him. I had allowed fear and anxiety and uh, worry to rule, and I wanted my will, but I wasn't necessarily asking God's will. So the week before Labor Day, I went to a retreat center all by myself, and I fasted and prayed, and I tried to listen to God's voice the best way I knew how. And as I did that, on the very first day, this was the message that God gave to me. Not audibly, but just in my spirit. This was what I gathered on day one. Quit trying to control everything. The jar is my church, not yours. You ever had an ouch moment from God before? That was mine. Quit trying to control everything. The jar is my church, Chris. Anyways, and it's not yours. Well, on that day, I said in my heart, I'm going to take all of this. And I went out on a walk, a six-mile walk away from the retreat center on country roads. And this was my main goal, to be quiet, to have my mind open to God. And secondly, not to get bit by dogs. And as I was going around this curve, I came up onto a small little country church And outside of the church, they had a church sign, and this is what it said. The church will rise again. Now, in full transparency, this is what I want to tell you. When I saw the sign, this is what I thought to myself. That is true. The church will rise again when Jesus comes back. But right now, God, I don't see it. And I got my doubts, and I got my fears, and I got my worries, and I just don't know. And it's not just the jar, folks. It's every church right now. People have not come back. It's been a struggle to do church. That's why I'm so grateful you're here and everyone on the stream is. And the reality is, when I saw that sign, I just was like, God, I want to believe, I want to have faith, but I just don't. And I remember sitting right beside the sign, and I prayed this prayer, and this is what I prayed. Oh, God, my God the one who has never left me. You've never abandoned me. I ask now, God, that you would increase my faith and the faith of the people at the jar to help us see your dream, even though we don't see it now. And as I listened to God more and more over these next few days, he took me back to a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 4, And you can read it this week if you'd like to. Mark chapter 4. But it's a story of a farmer who... Jesus tells the story of a farmer who goes out and he scatters seed. And the seed falls on different 
parts of soil. Some of it's hard soil. Some of it's rocky soil. Some of it has weeds and thorns that kills out the seed. But some of it fell on good soil. And this is what the scripture says about the good soil. It says the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's message and produce a huge harvest. 30, 60, 100 fold times as much has been planted. I have always believed and sensed that God is calling the jar to be a hundred fold church. So what does that mean? Well, the jar started with eight people, six adults and two kids. And so as you can imagine, if you're going to be a 30-fold church, you would be a church of 240. That's what we already are. We're beyond that. We're, we're moving forward on that. If you're a 60-fold church, you'd be a church of 480. If you're a 100-fold church, you'd be a church of 800. And the dream that I sensed God gave me from Mark 4 was that by the time I retire, when I'm no longer here, whether it's one church or we plant another church, that we would be a church of 800 people. And we're not trying to be a church of 800 people because, oh, we want to be a big church and we want everyone to look at us because people matter to God. Like, people matter to God more than anything else. And so in the midst of me dreaming and asking, God, what do you want? What is your will? This is what I sense. In the next five years, Chris, I want this to be a church of 500. And it's not a me dream, it's a we dream. I've shared this with the staff, the elders, the trustees, asking them, do you think this is something that we could be stretched by God, but God could really move in a great way, and we can impact lives and take care of the poor and love people, and they're like, yes, we're in, let's go for it. It's a we dream, not a me dream. And so as we started praying about it, how do we do it? What comes around? We realized that the first thing we had to come to terms with was the fact that this kind of dream scares me. It freaks me out. Just like in the early days when we first did it. I was scared to death then. I'm scared to death now. And in September, I was like, I'm not sure, God, I'm even doing a very good job leading where we're at right now. How can I do it when it's 500? And again, God gave me an ouch moment and he said this, you're right, you can't, but I can. Whatever dream you want in your life, this is the reality. You can't do it on your own, but with God, you can. And this was the dream. Now, we have a vision, we have a dream, and here is just a piece of it that we want to talk about today. It'll come up on the side screens. Uh, our, our vision says this, the vision of the jar is to dream of a place where we embrace the outcast, encourage the broken, and empower the poor. It is a dream of being outward focused as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with thousands of residents in Muncie, Delaware County, and all of East Central Indiana. It is a dream of 800 people growing together in spiritual maturity through small groups as we serve together, worship together, play together, and live life together. Again, what matters about this dream, folks, is not numbers or words, but what matters is people. Because people matter to God. And if people matter to God, then they must matter to us. And so over the past few months, I've been sharing this vision more and more with uh, trustees, the elders, spiritual leaders, mentors of mine. And this kind of leads to the second thing. If you want a dream, first of all, you have to open your mind to God. And secondly, you got to start asking for advice. 
You've got to start asking for advice. The Bible says this, the more advice you get, the more likely you are to win. And Proverbs 20.18 says, get good at advice, or if you get good advice, you will succeed. Folks, it's wise to learn from your own experiences and your own failures, but you know what I found? It's even wiser to learn from the experiences and failures of other people. If you want to get really wise, you learn from somebody else. You learn from what their mistakes are and and where they're at. So you don't have to go through it. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough time to go through all my life with mistakes. I've got to learn from the mistakes of other people to be able to learn from them. And so asking good questions, listening is so important. God gave you two ears and one mouth. You know, you should listen more than you talk. And the question here is, who else could help? If you've got a God-sized dream for your family, your marriage, your kids, who else could help me? Many times I'll come to a crossroad in a dream or a thought or a vision of my life, and when I get there, either I could look for help, or sometimes I do this, I'll just wing it. You ever do that before? You just think, oh, I can do it on my own, and then all of a sudden, you crash and burn. That's why God has placed people around you to be able to encourage you in the midst of that. To fulfill a dream, you humble yourself. You're teachable. You're moldable. The best leaders in this world are learners who do that. And here's the third step uh, to pursuing God's dream in your life is to plan for problems. You've got to plan for problems. You open up your mind and then you actually take some time to get advice from people and then you plan for problems. The Bible says this, don't go charging into a battle without a plan. Folks, things are going to go wrong in whatever dream vision that you have. Guaranteed, that will take place. Several months ago, we were doing Surfest, our uh, second Saturday, where we go out into the community and show God's love in practical ways. And we'd gone to a store uh, a grocery store where we were giving quarters so that people could get their grocery carts, and then we were passing out shopping bags so people could put their groceries in for free. All of it was free. While we were doing this, all of a sudden the manager of the store was not so happy, and so the manager came out and said, you can't do this. Corporate says you can't do this. Now, luckily, our ministry leader at the time had a backup plan, and the backup plan was he had these cookies that we went down through McGalliard to the rest of the stores, and we passed out cookies to employees who were working there. And yesterday, we passed out 175 cookies to all of these employees, and we're learning their names. Some of them are coming to church. Their lives are being impacted. But it would have never happened had we not planned for the problems. Folks, never ignore a problem because a problem will never ignore you. You ever notice that? Never ignore problems because a problem will never ignore you. You see, nobody is 100% successful all the time. In fact, since we started the jar, the reality is there are many things that have gone wrong more than what went right. But this is what I've learned and as I've shared with our leaders and the congregation, you know this if you've been here long enough. Failing is not meaning you're a failure. We all fail at things. We all don't do things, but it doesn't mean you're a failure. If you're doing something for God, you are never a failure. It may not come out exactly, but you're never a failure. Scripture says this. A sensible person 
watches for problems ahead, and prepares to meet them. The foolish person never looks and suffers the consequences. And the questions that we want to ask here is, what can go wrong with the dream? If I have a dream that God's given me, what could go wrong with it? What will happen if it does? The Bible says this, to just be sensible. It doesn't mean you have to be pessimistic. Oh, my marriage is always going to be a failure. Our family's always going to be messed up. This is all. No, 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 no. You be sensible, not pessimistic. Here's the fourth step in dreaming bigger or creating the dream for your life, pursuing God's dream. Be willing to risk and face your fears. Be willing to risk and face your fears. Often, the reason people aren't willing to risk is because they just don't want to face their fears. The Bible says this, the fear of people brings a snare, but whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts their confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. You know, I don't know about you, but I hate to admit that I'm afraid. I never want anyone else to know that I have fear. Most of us want to act like we have it all together. Everything's great on the outside, even on the inside. Things may be totally breaking apart. And so God says, rather than hiding all of that, just admit your fear and move forward. Fear is not a sign of weakness, folks. Fear is a sign of humanity. If you're human, you're going to be fearful. It just happens. That's the way it is. And courage is not the absence of fear. I hate that when people say, oh, if you have courage, you don't have any fear. That's the stupidest thing in the world. Courage is not the absence of fear. Rather, courage is moving ahead in spite of your fear. Remember the church I was telling you about that in September I was walking and I saw this sign that said the church will rise again? Well, I also took another picture and it'll come up on the side screen. It was a picture of a handicapped spot. And if you look at the cement parking block, what does that word say? Anybody see it? It says pastor. So the pastor of that church had a physical handicap. And when I saw that, the impression that God placed upon me is this. Chris, you're a handicapped pastor. Not physically handicapped, but I've been handicapped by fear and worry and anxiety. And I just want you to know, you're a part of a church where the pastor's handicapped. He's got a lot of them. And they may not be physical, but there are so many that are there. And as I was looking at this and thinking about it to myself... The reality is, all of us have a handicap when we're looking for a dream. The reality is, is that many of us never have a parking spot. We never think that God has a place for us to be used. That God never has a place that even in the midst of what we're struggling with, that we can be used by Him. I've had several people who've asked me before, uh, when you started the jar, were you scared? Absolutely. And if you were to ask the question today, as you're giving us this vision of 500 in five years, are you scared? Yes, I am. Because it's a God-sized dream. It's a we dream, not a me dream. And folks, God didn't send you here today to just sit in a seat. He sent you to be a part of the dream that he wants to do in the life 
of this church, to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your influence of people around you to share the love of Christ to everyone that you know in Muncie, Delaware County, and all of East Central Indiana. Because this is the truth, folks. One day you will be in heaven. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord and turns to him will be in heaven. And one of the things that he's going to say, I'm pretty sure, is look behind you. These are all the people that you brought with you. And I just want to ask the question today is, how long is your line going to be? How many people will you choose to love and care for and forgive and invest in so that they might have eternity with the one who knows them best and loves them most? Folks, if we're going to dream, we've got to be willing to take risks. And the Bible says this, reverence for the Lord gives confidence and security. That's what this whole thing is about. The secret here is that when we're dreaming, we're going to be scared, we're going to be fearful, but our confidence, our security comes in our relationship with God. And here's the last step as you're pursuing God's big dream. And it's this, do it now. Do it now. If there's something in your marriage that you want to see better and worked on right now, do it now, don't wait there's something in your family, something with your kids, don't wait to think about it later on. Do it now. Scripture says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. There comes a point, a decision where you have to say, I'm going to stop talking about this and we're actually going to start acting upon it. You take the risk, you take off. Well, like I said earlier, folks, this is not a me dream. This is a we dream. The only way this will ever happen is if we have eyes to reach out to love people, all people, because people matter to God. And the leaders of the church and myself have come up with one goal that we want to go after this year, and it's this, to increase the level of evangelism in the jar. That's what we want to do, to increase the level of evangelism in the jar. Now, evangelism is a word that many people get scared of because they imagine a big man behind a pulpit sweating, going, A load said, rise up, bam. And then they just keep hitting and pounding, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't want that. That is not what evangelism is. Evangelism is showing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. And we are going to be committed for you learning your story, knowing it well enough that you can share your story of what Christ has done for you. Because Christ has done many things for each one of you, for each one of you on the stream. And God wants to have you not keep your story to yourself, but to share it of what Christ has done for you with others. And people might say, well, I'm introverted. That doesn't matter. There were a lot of people that were introverted that were Jesus' disciples. He used them in great ways. And we want to do the same for you, to equip you to be able to do that. You know, 21 years ago, I was uh, sitting in a conference, and my whole life had been about the church. Every single person that I was a friend with was in the church. Every single person that I hung out with was in the church. I never knew anything except in the church because I was raised a pastor's kid. And I was at this conference when all of a sudden a guy stood up and said, the problem with the church is that we're staying in the church. And we're not reaching out to people who are disconnected from Christ. And he said, I want to give you a simple thing and I want to challenge you. And he gave this plan called one one dash one. 
And I looked at that and I was like, what's that? And then he said, this is very simple to remember. If you want to have an impact on the kingdom, you'll take one person, pray for them for one minute at one o'clock each day. And for 21 years, my phone has been set for one o'clock every single day. It goes off. It'll go off today at first steps. And I pray for one person for one minute at one o'clock. And now, I don't want to just keep that for myself, but I want to challenge each of you to consider that as well. I want you to think of one person in your life right now. One person. And I don't mean Uncle Claude who like lives in South Dakota, who you see once a year. I'm talking about people that you see weekly, but they're hurting They're disconnected from God. They don't go to church. There's not a connection there. And I'd like you to think of one person. And in your program today, uh, you received a little sticker like this. And for those of you that are on the stream right now, we're going to explain a way that you can do this yourself um, by using your phone And someone will come up and share that with you. But for those of us who are sitting here right now, I'd like you to pull this out. It's in your program. If you didn't get one, it's okay. There'll be one up here at this poster board, one up in the balcony, and there's one down here also. And all I'd like you to do in this moment is to think of that one person and just to write down their first name. And to come up, and to place it on the poster board. And what your commitment level is, is I'm going to pray for this person for one minute at one o'clock until they're connected. That's it, just one minute prayer each day for this one person. Now, I never ask you guys to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to put mine on this poster board. And I would ask you to do the same And I realize that for some of you, you're like, oh, we've done this before, Chris, or I've done that. Well, where are they? (laughs) I know it takes time. For me, it it took time for a friend of mine to come to Christ. It it took time. But, But I'm committed to this, to see someone to come to church to get connected. So as we think about this vision of 500 for five years, we need names. We need people to pray for. We need their lives to be changed because people matter to God more than anything else. So right now, I'm going to give you a chance whenever you feel comfortable, after you've prayed about it, God, who's the one person that you want me to invest in to write their name down and to come and to put it on these boards? And so I'd invite you to do that now.